Grace and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, we've been talking about words, those ambassadors of the soul. We've been talking about Christ's words, his words from the cross, the very ones he so carefully chose and so intentionally delivered with his dying breath. We've heard thus far his plea for pardon of those who have done him wrong. We've reflected in these weeks upon the words of promised paradise to all who lift their sighs and their eyes and their cries to him for help. Tonight we hear still more words, more ambassadors of his. We hear this time words of preparation. Tonight we hear words of providential arrangement. St. John writes, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And these words of our Lord, they serve as our text tonight for this meditation. Putting one's house in order is something that's done when death is at hand. And it's nothing new. We hear of this preparatory practice in the book of 2 Kings way back then when the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah. And he said to him, put your home in order, for you shall die. When death seems imminent, it's a good time to put our house or to put our home in order. I don't know what was involved, all that was involved in Hezekiah's day. But when we put things in order, it tends to mean that the necessary documents are signed. It means that unconcluded legal matters are resolved. We tie up all these loose ends. Sometimes that's in writing, but sometimes... Sometimes it means that we we say the things that need to be said, things that we certainly wouldn't leave unsaid. Provisions, too, are made for those who will remain in this world after we've been well borne away by the angels. Putting the house in order. Well, we hear a bit about that tonight. Christ, Jesus, as a son, a dutiful son, And yet, as Lord and governor of all circumstances, puts a few things in order before he gives up his spirit. And surely, even as these few words directed really toward two people, but we know that they speak intentionally to us about the heart of our Lord. Think about it with the weight of the world on his shoulders, literally on his shoulders. He's got the well being of others in his mind. This is his funeral so to speak. This is his funeral and he's making arrangements for others. With these seven words of his that we consider tonight, Christ is arranging perhaps far more than we would first realize. As tonight we survey the wondrous cross and we hear these words that certainly were meant for us, we might put ourselves into the place and into the mind of the mother of our Lord, Mary, who stands in such a unique position. There she was. There she was at arm's length from her son. A proximity, I would suppose, she'd been 
and become well used to by now. After all, how many nights had she only 30-some years ago? How many nights had she drawn him close in the still and in the deep of the night to, to silence his infant cries or his whimpers? How often had she been the mother's magic touch to wipe away a young boy's tear or to kiss away the pain of scrapes or falls? How often had she sat that close, reclining with him at table, a mother and her son? But what must have been in her heart at that hour? What must have been in her heart at that hour a treasury of memories, moments, special moments, surely miraculous moments, so many things that she had so long kept and pondered in her heart. To see him there still about his father's business to the very bitter end. And then recalling that in fact she hadn't been so faithfully about his father's business in life. You see, as they say, no parent should have to watch his or her child die, and that's the truth. But imagine doing so, knowing that you're the one whose faults put your own to death. That's where Mary stood. There to see him still about his father's business, even unto death, when she had been less than faithful throughout her life. There he is as a man, when she watched him day in and day out grow in wisdom and in stature before her, before God, certainly before man. He was the perfect son, ever bearing patiently with an imperfect mother, always though honoring her with every thought of his and every gesture of his, just as, just as the law of God and what we call the fourth commandment would not only imply but require of us. What must have pierced her heart in this hour, recalling that to her son, rather to her, her son and Lord, once at Cana's wedding, did say, Woman, my hour has not yet come. And yet now it had come. That painful hour had come, and now he once again addresses her lovingly, saying, Woman, behold now your son. What a statement, though, isn't it? Behold your son. For as he was there with those words, arranging for her future good, how could she help but there behold her own son? Arranging there for her temporal and for her eternal good, there at arm's length on the cross. Behold your son. But what about us? What about us? You know, we're not distant bystanders, as it might seem. In a very scriptural way, we share in Mary's maternal and her parental pain. Remember the words of Isaiah? who heralded to us the birth announcement, for unto us, he said, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He's ours in a very real way. And yes, with the faults of his mother, our faults too required his death. As tonight we stand at arm's length and we behold him on the cross, 
Recall the moments of our life. Remember how patiently he's borne with us too, with us who have been far less than perfect. Think on how we've not always been about the Father's business. Think about how we've not always been faithfully about pursuing his will. And yet remember how kindly indeed he has dealt with us, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom he does not hesitate. Our Lord does not. He doesn't hesitate to call us indeed, his brothers and his sisters and his mother. With his words and by his work upon the cross, Christ wasn't simply there providing for his mother alone. He was most certainly setting things in order for you and for me also. Putting the house in order, that's what he was doing. Putting the house in order. Recall what he had said just hours before in that upper room. Recall what he had said about putting things in order. He said to the disciples, I go now to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. With wooden beams, friends, and nails, and his blood, and sweat, and agonizing tears, he prepared mansions above for us. He collected all of our wrongs, and by his death he made us right before God, and therefore forgiven, he made paradise ours before long. He caught himself in sin's thicket for us. And on that blessed mount, Calvary, truly God did indeed provide the sacrifice. He said, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple there standing nearby whom he loved, he said to him, behold your mother. Those are loving words. Loving words of providential care from a cross of providential care. Tonight's words are words that perhaps seem like very sad commentary on a very tragic ending to what otherwise would be a very inspirational and a very interesting story. But dear friends, you know well, the suffering and death of our Lord and his words with which he leaves his mother tonight, it's not about endings at all. Indeed, it's about a new beginning. For just as a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his bride and the two will become one flesh, so Christ on the cross there is joined to his bride, his dear church. Leaving his father in heaven, and descending to us and leaving his mother with the disciple whom he loved, Christ Jesus bound himself to his bride. And just like for the first bride of the first Adam, just like her life was drawn from his side as he slept in a deep sleep, so also the bride of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, she derives her life from his side as he was there on the cross in the deep sleep of death, as the water and the blood issued forth from the riven side of that second Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's water and that's blood that gives life to the bride of Christ. For that sacramental water and that sacramental blood, which is combined with God's word, these give life. They gave it and they give life continually to the bride of Christ, his church. In the church's long 
seen those holy sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper reflected in the, that holy bodily water and that shed blood that issued forth from, from the side of Christ. You need only look here in our own sanctuary at the crucifixion window that depicts it so beautifully. You see, this event is no sad ending for us. The house is put in order. But not to prepare for some sad and tragic end. But finally, to prepare and rather to prepare for a new and for a glorious beginning. The marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. And we sing so vividly of it in those well-loved words of that familiar hymn, that Christian hymn, the church's one foundation. You know it well. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her And for her life he died. It is no sad ending indeed, but for the bride of Christ, the cross event, it's a new and it's a beautiful beginning. And joined to us, he will be faithful to us. More more than a wedding ring that many of us wear, more than a wedding ring that's just a static reminder or a static seal of, of our union with the spouse, Christ has given us his own word. And his own sacraments is a seal, but not a static seal. Dynamic these things are. To work in our lives the vow that he has made to us, his church, his bride. That vow that promises, I will love her and comfort her and honor her and keep us her members in sickness and in our health. In worldly poverty and wealth, never ever forsaking her, but faithfully being a husband to her, as eternally long as I, the risen Lord, shall live. The words of St. Paul tonight are so appropriate for us, where he writes that Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and, and without blemish. It is indeed like we sing in that Lenten hymn, like we'll likely sing a couple of weeks from now. Indeed, that's love to the loveless shown that they too might lovely be. Friends, having been so loved through his words and his work, would we then, his dear brothers and his sisters, his mother, the disciples whom he indeed has loved, would we not also endear the charge given from the cross and behold one another and in love tend to each other in our needs? And so we take to heart tonight our Lord's word, knowing knowing these words that we hear, knowing that they weren't intended only for his mother and for John. They're meant for all of his disciples whom he loves. And they're for all people, the world over. Because for all, he's put the necessary things in order. 
for all he's done, the preparation. But it is with us, his beloved bride, the church, it's with us that he does share the spoils and the splendor of his suffering, death, and his resurrected life. We keep that in mind as we go our ways tonight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.